0: If I remain standing for the reading of Scripture, Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you would be of no trouble. No trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. Can I get the house lights turned up so I can see my friends, please? Yeah, there we go. Um, Good morning. Pastor Anthony, if I have not met you. And... um, before I was a preacher, I finally feel comfortable calling myself that. I was a songwriter. Um, I've written lots of songs. I used to do what Kim and David do. And and uh, songwriting is a craft. And, and as you write songs, you come up with ideas, and you scratch them, and you improve upon them. And for me, um, moving more into preaching, the, the sermon is my new craft, where I wrestle, I I, I, I write ideas down, I go back and forth, construct deconstruct all over the place again and again and again. And, and eventually you have to get up and preach the sermon. And, and I've been wrestling with this sermon for coming on two weeks now. And I find it funny because I came up with the sermon series. I came up with the overarching theme. And when this one I was putting together. I was like, this will be probably the easiest to preach. And I've been butting my head up against the wall all Week yesterday, I was like, "Martin, you want to preach on Sunday?" Because <laughs> I put the work in, and and. and uh um, what I love about our theology and our worship is like the high point is not the sermon, it's, it's the table. And we had a member come in, hair Brussel from the wind. I was back there during the opening and she comes, did I miss communion? I'm like, no, you're good. You're good. We still got that. You get to sit through this first. Um, and I don't say that I've, I'm prepared and uh, I, I, I kind of, it's the third one. So I think I know where I'm going now. But this theme this morning, it's Paul learning to let go of identity. And, and I wrestle with that because identity is a thing Christians talk a lot about at the theological level. We're just saying, I'm a child of God. And we see that move. I mean, and Brian, in, in the grief of losing his father, of being reminded his dad is a child of God. He's a child of God. He's good before the Lord. When we talk about identity, we often hear this phrase, if you grew up in the church, your identity is in Christ. Anyone hear that before? Yeah, by show of hands? Yes? Yeah? Right? If I ask you to define that on the practical level, it will probably be difficult. It's actually that phrase, identity in Christ, is nowhere in the Bible. It's not there. I did a word search. It's not there. Even the word identity Depending on your translation from the Greek, it's used two, maybe five times. And, and the Greek word translated in the English, identity, is normally in the more loose translations, the more paraphrased or kind of modern vernacular, not the very literal translations. What does it mean for your identity to be in Christ? Because at one level, it's this beautiful theological concept It's a legal standing before God the Father. Your sins are forgiven and you are righteous just as Christ is righteous. Because what He has done for you, God does not hold your sin against you. He loves you. He enjoys you. He actually likes being with you. You are His child. You can't add to that and you can't take away from it. Period. But what does that look like the rest of our life? This phrase, your identity is in Christ, has been the source of existential crisis in my home for about 15 years, Tawny and I's entire marriage. And this is why I have her permission to share this story. Um, I've said it in sermons before, she went to college and got her degree in philosophy and Latin, which is awesome. And she's a deep thinker, and pretty much everything for her is an existential crisis, just like Pastor Martin. You get the two of them together, and it's just like It's just bad news. It's just, ah, the world is falling apart, right? And let it burn. And, uh, um, and, but it's a great degree. She thinks deeply, but it's a really bad degree to graduate in 2008 with. (laughs) My fellow millennials are like, yeah, I feel ya. Economy's crashing, job market's horrible. What's your degree in? Learning how to think and speak and read a dead language? Oh, cool, next. And Tanya married someone, me, who went to school for like a very specific niche thing. And I've been fortunate enough since before I graduated to be in my, my dream job, where I have been paid by a church since I became a Christian. I've been vocationally fulfilled all of my career. And Tanya hasn't. And for the first couple of years of marriage, she sees me thriving and I see her struggling, trying to figure out what she wants to do, what God's given her, her giftings, and, and being very frustrated in that journey. And me being just the amazing young minister and husband would say things like, Honey, you should stop putting your identity in your job and what you do, but you should put it in Christ. And she'd look at me and just scowl. And move on. And this would just happen over and over. And she finally gets the guts like, okay, Mr. Pastor, what does it mean to put your identity in Christ? I'd be like, huh. Um, (laughs) You're loved by Jesus. He died for your sins. You're a child of God. And then like, I probably said something dumb, like you're a princess of the king of the universe. And then she just vomit all over me. And I go, huh. So I've been wrestling with this this sermon, what the Holy Spirit wants to say, because I don't want to give Christian platitudes. I don't want us to walk away just going like, huh, that's theologically true, but what's the impact it has on my life? So God, as I preach this sermon one last time this morning, I throw my words, my thoughts... Upon your mercy, and I pray that you speak, I, I humbly ask that you, you speak through me to the people in this room, the people that may be watching online, and God, that you bring this beautiful truth that we are in Christ into the real day-to-day ups and downs of life. Come Holy Spirit. See, our passage this morning is from Philippians. And Paul, um, he starts off by warning the Philippians, hey, and the Philippians were Gentiles, which means they weren't Jewish, which means they most likely weren't circumcised when they were babies. And there's a bunch of Judaizers going around telling these new converts to to this this guy, Jesus Christ, saying, hey, if you really want to follow Jesus, you got to be really Jewish, so you got to get circumcised, which is bad news if you're a Gentile man. And Paul comes in and says, hey, 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 don't worry. Like, I know you worship Jesus, you glorify Jesus, you're all good. Don't mind these really religious people. But then he goes on to say, hey, um, if we want to talk about these religious people, I was one of them. I was better than all of them. And I just read a few moments ago, he gives his resume, his pedigree. And he starts off by saying things like, "Um, I, I, I excelled in Judaism, starting with things he couldn't control. He was born into the right ethnicity into the right tribe of Israel. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just like Torah commands. And, he, and that's not by his own will. He wasn't like, mom and dad, I'm seven days years old. Tomorrow you know what you're supposed to do. No, he just was kind of born into the right circumstances. But then he talks about he had some natural abilities. He was overzealous for Torah, keeping the commandments. He was gifted. Paul is a brilliant brilliant man if you know Paul's story his his identity of being very Jewish very religious formed what he did his purpose Paul's story before he was Paul he was Saul and he was a persecutor of the church The early Christians weren't called Christians. They were called the way. It was this weird little sect growing out of Judaism. And and Paul is a defender of Judaism. He is the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He is who every little Jewish boy wants to be when they grow up. So when he hears that there's this group of Jews, and now even Gentiles, swine, are becoming part of this family. They're worshiping this man named Jesus Christ and Yahweh the God of Israel, his God, he can't stand it. He's going to go after him. His identity caused him to act a certain way, to live a certain way, to do certain things. But Paul doesn't use the word identity. When he, when he talks about his resume, his pedigree, he actually says this, he put his confidence in the flesh. He trusted in things that were just gifted to him and in things that he excelled at, natural ability. That was his confidence, what he put his trust in that caused him to be the kind of man he was who formed him to be who he was. As he's persecuting the church, Jesus appears to him in a radical, miraculous way, blinds him, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, he's radically convert, uh, converted to worship the one whom he was persecuting. And Paul says in this letter, in this, in this passage, for, for his sake, Jesus, that would be Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. Rubbish rubbish is a really polite way to translate the greek it would be more of something of a brown that you you step on and six to your shoe in the park and not poo-poo think of another harsh word that is what paul is saying that's what he considered his former way of life it was all dung it was rubbish it was worthless In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then he has this beautiful passage. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law of Torah. His old way of operating. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. There you go. That's your identity in Christ. This beautiful doctrine of justification. The heartbeat of the reformation. That changed the church. But what did it mean for the rest of his life? See, Paul wrote this letter probably about 25 years after first encountering Jesus Christ. 25 years is a long time. And if you follow the story of Paul, Paul didn't move up and to the right like he was in Judaism, he kept going lower and lower. And lower, and he goes on to say that that because of this justification, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his what sufferings, becoming like him in his what death. Wah wah wah. See, Paul, if you know his story after his conversion, read the or the letter of Acts. Read his letters to the churches. He was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was put on false trials. He was chased out of town. People were trying to murder him. He knew suffering. In the physical sense, in the emotional sense, in the existential sense. He writes about having this this thorn in his flesh. We have no idea what it was. But he talks about he pleaded with the Lord Jesus three times. Take this away. And the Lord says, no, I refuse to, so you may boast in your weakness. Paul knew suffering. But somehow Paul knew suffering in a way that helped him identify with Jesus Christ. That somehow this suffering was worth way more than all the accolades of his pedigree of his former life. And his suffering And becoming dead like Christ, he became to know Christ more and more intimately. As I've been reflecting on on this passage in my own life, and and, um, it made me think a lot of um, the things I put my confidence and hope in. I think the reason I was able to say those, yes, true statements to my wife, but not in a very... um, uh, beneficial or caring way was because I was so, I have been so um, fortunate in my life at times. My parents split up when I was young, I was three, but like they handled it pretty well. Up until a month ago, my mother-in-law passing, who very much was a mother to me, I hadn't lost an immediate family member in my adult life. Like things have gone pretty well for me and my family but it makes me think of the different vocations the different callings the things I put my confidence in that aren't bad things as husband father pastor preacher like what if um, you may have noticed like in the spring and uh, fall I lose my voice like since I moved to Austin thank you Cedar right and it's gone through my mind I'm like what if I could never preach again like would I be okay what if the economy just keeps going down and down and down and y'all just stop tithing and I have to go get a real job? I'll go to Trader Joe's. It's my backup. <laughs> I already have the escape plan if necessary. But would I be okay? But like, I've had to let my mind go to darker places. Like, God forbid, what if my family's taken from me? If my wife... Our son got sick and didn't survive. Would I be okay? What would that look like? Where would my confidence be? How would that suffering for me? Because here's the thing. It's not if suffering comes, it's when it comes. Like suffering will come in your life one way or another. And we don't need to, to compare our suffering to other people's sufferings. You have all suffered in one way or another if you feel you haven't, you will. You will. But somehow Paul ends his passage that that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That Paul, in the midst of his suffering, he had this larger biblical story in mind. Knowing that the end hope for the Christian is not death, It's not the cancer. It's not the job loss. It's not the existential crisis of what do I want to be when I grow up. It's the resurrection from the dead. And for some of you, that sounds like Christian platitudes also. But the reason I believe that is because I've had the joy and honor of being a pastor and sitting next to many of you or on the phone with you when tragedy comes, when the suffering comes, when the layoffs happen, when the diagnosis comes back as cancer and you have a month to live, when the marriage doesn't look like it's gonna work out, when the kids who you raise in the faith want nothing to do with you or your faith anymore. And I've sat with you in those places, and I'm always amazed Like, logically, you have every excuse to be like, forget you, God, I'm done. I'm done. But some reason, because the Spirit is working in you and using that suffering of saying, this is awful and this is horrible, but yet, Jesus is good in the midst of it. Sitting there and seeing it in your eyes, hearing it in your voice, seeing you as, as the, the grief washes over you or the applying for new jobs or waiting for the prodigal child to come home where you start to become more kind and more patient and loving. The fruits of the Spirit start to bear in your life because you're identifying with Jesus in his suffering, in his death. Sometimes we're stripped of that confidence of those identities by our sin, the flesh, the devil, and sometimes by God himself, where he strips us of the things that are keeping us from following him and identifying with him. My wife, she now has a job she loves. She's a graphic designer. She's really good at it. She's kind of living fully into, I believe, how God's wired her. But it took a good 10, 12 years of wandering through vocational suffering. If you've been in that place, it's painful, it's hard, it's annoying. (laughs) But over that decade, I've seen this in her. She's become more like Christ, learning to wait and be patient. And God stripped her of some of those identities she's placed on herself and she shows up to work and she works hard and she sees it as a missionary effort to be, a, to be in that place day in and day out. But at the end of the day, it's a job. She knows if God strips her of that, it's okay. He'll provide something new. But not everyone has that story. People still die. Foreclosure still comes. The prodigal doesn't return home. The marriage doesn't reconcile. Reconcile. And when I sit with you in those moments, my prayer is, God, continue to provide their daily bread, reconcile the marriage, heal the cancer. But here's the dirty little secret as your pastor. I'm praying more deeply, Lord, use this suffering to form them more into the image of your son, to bear fruit in their life, to make them more like the Jesus they trust in. I love this time of the year because I wear long sleeves and, and some of you don't know, like I'm, I'm pretty tattooed, like my arms are covered. And I don't say this to draw attention, I just, for an illustration, but like in the spring, they're like, oh, you're tattooed, you're a pastor. I'm like, you already like me, you can't judge me yet. What about Leviticus? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and many of my tattoos don't have, I, they're collecting their art, but there's some that have a lot of meaning and, and sorry, grandmas, I have a huge skull right here with a huge dagger through it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> my, my boy likes it. <laughs> it has a banner around it that says struggle well. So that's the vocation of every Christian. This to struggle well, to suffer well, to die to self well. Why? Because Paul says in the, in the beginning of this letter in chapter 2 that, that Jesus Christ, though he was God, he took on the form of his creation, of you and me, of human. And he took the form of a servant. And he didn't move up and to the right. No, he, he worked his way lower and lower and lower to the point of bearing a cross. And he suffered well for you and for me. And he invites us to join him in bearing that cross. Not for the sake of your sins, but so that you may become more like him. Why? For the sake of the people around you. Because everyone's suffering. But may the people in your life, may the people in the world see the people of Bethany and see us be a people who suffers well with joy. anticipation because we know through christ we will attain the resurrection of the dead i'm still wrestling with what it means to to have your identity in christ but i'm learning more and more it means to suffer and struggle well this is the third time i preach this so it's finally done (laughs) And my prayer is that it is an encouragement to you, wherever you are suffering this week, big or small, that you may be formed more into Jesus's image and come to love him and trust in him more deeply that this theology that you are saved by grace through faith, justification actually affects how you live. So Holy Spirit, I pray for my brothers and sisters, May we be people who welcome suffering and embrace it because you have gone before us. May we struggle well, Jesus. Amen.